good morning. <clears throat> How do you follow that? I'm sure, isn't it just wonderful to listen to young people, part of the future of the church? They are the future of the church, as are our other young people, just sharing the heart of what, what God is doing for them. Doesn't it give you real hope? <clears throat> I'm, I'm really encouraged by what I've heard uh, this morning already, and uh, I'd really love to hear more. But <clears throat> So, uh, welcome to all of you on Zoom. Um, it's great to have you with us. Um, if I address any points direct to you, it's not just because it's to you, it's to everybody, but I will try and look at you from time to time. Um, also, just thank you to all the children who are here today. I appreciate you giving up willingly quite a bit of your time to listen to me. Um, so, uh, if there's anything I say, any word or phrase that you hear that you don't understand, come up and ask me afterwards and I will uh, happily try and explain that to you. Also, um, in the second half of the talk, I'll be putting some biblical reference to uh, what we're talking about. And I want you, if you're brave enough, to be able to come up afterwards and tell me what you think my main point was. Okay? And just in case you need any um, encouragement on that, the first eight of you who managed to do that, I would be very happy to see. So we're doing something slightly different during the uh, summer in that we've got a short series of sort of looking at the roots of this church, celebrating and exploring how we got to where we are. And this, there's a real purpose behind this. Um, because, because later on in the, the autumn, autumn and the winter, winter series, we're going to be doing a full series on the church and the future of the church. And we've heard something about that already today. And so we've been exploring some of the influences there have been um, that have affected the church, particularly over the last 150 years, and, and how that's affected in particular our worship. Um, but of course, what's influenced us has gone back way more than 150 years. I mean, it goes back to, oh, I don't know, Wesleyan revival. It goes back to Christianity arriving in the 500s on our shores. Uh, although there was evidence of it here being here before, it goes back to um, Pentecost. It goes back to Christ telling, saying, I, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And even just go back to creation, God's plan for redemption for the world. It's all what has obviously influenced our church. Even Paul says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. But in the recent times, the last 150 years, we've been looking at a number of movements uh, Dwight Moody in the 19th century, we've been looking in the last century at Billy Graham, the missions to this country, and also to the charismatic revival, and last week, actually New Frontiers, which really brings it up to date. And in each of these, we recognised that worship has been affected, it's been prioritised, there's been new songs, new events that have come in. 
And wedged between those last two, charismatic revival and new frontiers, and complementary with it, there was another influence, which was the Vineyard Church movement, led by John Wimber. Uh, who's heard of John Wimber? You can lift your hands. We're charismatic here. Yep, quite a few. Thank you. I've got a picture. Yes, you've got a picture. So um, I'm glad a lot of you have heard about him because that's really helpful as I speak to you. Terry Virgo says, has said that other than Billy Graham or alongside Billy Graham, the man who has most influenced the British church is John Wimber. John Wimber actually died uh, very young at 63 in 1997 and he'd had a, had a heart attack in 1986 so he actually had a relatively short period of ministry. He was only 63 when he died. And he was a gifted musician. Um, he played professional group. He, his group backed to the Beatles for a while. Um, and he was one of the founding fathers of the Vineyard Church movement. And they started as a house group. Now that resonates with us and our history, doesn't it? We started, our church started as a house, single house group. Vineyard now extends to two and a half thousand churches across six continents. But why is that relevant to us? Well, I'll just give you a little bit of personal history involved in church history. I arrived in Cumbria from just across from Lancashire at the age of 24 in 1979. And I joined uh, All Saints, their congregation. Um, it was the natural place for me to go. And um, I, I must admit, I was struggling with a few things at the time. My Christian faith wasn't in a terribly good place. But... Lo and behold, um, in this traditional uh, Anglican church, with a really fun vicar, by the way, John Crawley. Few of us will remember John Crawley. Really fun vicar. Um, I found myself on the PCC. That's the governing council for it. Because I was involved in finance, I think they felt I had something to offer. But also, I think I reduced the average age very significantly. And, and I found myself, as part of the decision that was to grant a lease to this group of families who'd be meeting in a laundrette. And they were to have the use of the church rooms in the afternoons, because we needed it in the morning. Um, and so that was happening, and, uh, and, and one of their people, a fellow called Mike Maiden, came across and he played a guitar in the service. And it was wonderful. And he spoke. And it was really good. And I didn't have any real idea of what a house church was or what it was. But they, I found myself drawn to go across to their Wednesday evening meetings, which was one of teaching, of worship, of prayer. And they were absolutely astounding. I... I my heart was so warmed, but also was so excited because what was happening is that many from, several people from the church had been on John Wimber conferences at the time. Wimber was in the country in 1981, in the early 80s, but in particularly in 1984, they'd been on a conference. And it was just dynamic. It just changed the way that I saw how church should work. These people had real faith. 
They were working out their faith. They worshipped like I hadn't ever come across before. And I found myself going there. Um, and the conferences they went to had really powerful names. They had <laughs> power evangelism and signs and wonders. But they were just wonderful. And um, so there was also the movement of spiritual gifts too, which um, I'd not come across before. And healing was something that was expected. But it was not just in the house church movement that John Wimber and the vineyard were having an effect. John Wimber had built up a real friendship, a real connection with the Anglican church. Um, I discovered that our fun vicar was actually playing <laughs> on Sunday afternoons at the Cockermouth Christian Fellowship. He was playing his flute in the audience because they had, out in the congregation, people playing tambourines and guitars and all sorts of things. It was a joyful noise. But John would go across and play his flute. Um, but John Wimber had built up a relationship particularly with people like David Watson at St. Martin Le Belfry in York um, and also um, David Pitchers in St. Andrews uh, in Chorley where was it now? Chorley Wood, Hertfordshire and that's where a young Matt Redman was and it was out of St. Andrews that came Soul Survivor which was a major youth conference Kids, you've been to New Day recently, many of you. And in time to come, there'll be people standing here, maybe even you, relating how New Day had an effect upon you and the worship style and the worship that happened in, in that place. Also, who discovered uh, and went to the conferences was Sandy Miller. Sandy Miller was the vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton. And you'll know that out of this came the Alpha Course and so much more. They adapted their services um, and practices to take on some of the elements of Vineyard. And um, I've, I've been to Holy Trinity Brompton and I've looked at the services done by those two churches I've mentioned and we would feel very at home there. Some of the features of Vineyard you will recognise. A recognition that the kingdom had come, was breaking in, with the phrase Wimber would use, now and not yet. You'll have heard that spoken from the front. And John Wimber would and would encourage others to pray for the sick using words of knowledge, expecting actual healing. He called it doing the stuff. He likes simple words that we understand. He wanted authenticity, no pushing people over, nothing for religious effect. Simplicity, no big words. He favoured preaching from the Gospels. And, and his, he thought that one of the best forms of evangelism was planting churches. And I think you'll see 
that's something of how we, something that our church adopted and has been involved in over the years. The invitation to the Holy Spirit to change situations. Come, Holy Spirit. Now, we know that the Spirit lives in us. We know that the Spirit is all around, is with us. But as Christians, is living in us. But this is a recognition that this is his church. Holy Spirit, do what you want with us. Do what you want with us. John Wimmer had a phrase, everyone gets to play. That it's not all about the leaders, the folk on the stage. But everyone has a key role, key gifts. An ability to pray for others was really important. And it's also, I think, where that music from the realms of the congregation came. Everyone gets to play. And then the phrase, remember the poor. And the social action his church was primarily involved in was the drug culture in, in the States. But I don't think it's any coincidence that our church, soon after, got involved with uh, serious work with the poor in Africa, in Zimbabwe in particular, and have done so now for decades. Um, and the Lord has used that work tremendously. But it is in worship, the area of worship that Vineyard Movement had a big impact. And we've been singing some of their songs today. Uh, Brian Dirksen, Andy Park, Eddie Espinosi, Paul Oakley. They had big influence on our young leaders, people like and, uh, Martin Smith, Matt Redmond, Tim Hughes. And the songs needed to be simple. They were, they were based around having a single guitarist, they were tunes that you could remember. They were easy. They were simple. But the big thing was they were expressing an intimacy. <laughs> the Lord calls us too, and he wants us to be intimate with him. And we've been used to singing songs about God, about great doctrinal truths. And they're great, and we'll continue always to do that. But this was a new tool to sing to the Lord, to bless the Lord. Uh, David Watson called it to sing unto the Lord. John Wimber taught us, taught that the first priority was to give God's love back to him. Sandy Miller said that the change that it made to their church was that worship was no longer the warm-up for the preach. It was the main event. And they used it in all their meetings, whether they be prayer meetings or house groups or anything. Worship was taking precedent. And lyrics like, purify my heart, I choose to be holy, don't let my love grow cold. They demonstrated a real intimacy between the worshipper and the worshipped. But th th this new emphasis was not popular with everybody by any means. Still isn't. Um, for us British, it's a bit touchy-feely. Um, for some, it's too much I and me. Uh, even the word intimacy can cause some upset. But in many ways, it isn't new. I mentioned two Davids, modern Davids, who are impacted by it. Well, another David, the David of the Bible, the David who was flawed, but the David who was called the man after God's own heart, he produced his own songs. They're called psalms. 
and they're wonderfully intimate. Pre-Whitfield and Wesley days, psalms were all that were sung. There's still churches, actually, in the UK, particularly up in northwest Scotland. That's all they sing in worship. That's all that they're allowed to sing in worship. Even in the Anglican church, we had one psalm was sung every Sunday. Everyone has their favourites. Psalm 23 happens to be mine. I don't think you can get too much more intimate than that, but actually you can. Psalm 51 is the one following David's repentance for the horrible stuff that he got involved in. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The sacrifice, sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. We did a declaration at the start. That's another of David's songs. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. You'll hear those words and similar ones within the vineyard songs and in other songs that have been written since. But can you get a sense of David's heart in this? He has a relationship with the living God that's real and vibrant. And Christianity is not about rules. That's such a misunderstanding. It's about a relationship, a relationship with a person, a relationship with Jesus. And relationships only flourish when there is communication. And intimate relationships quickly wither when we don't engage in them. We were created to worship. Isaiah 43, 21 says, My chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. David and the other psalm writers show us how to worship. Singing, dancing, music, body posture, even in whatever circumstance, be it good or bad. And in Psalm 46, also an, an active, not a passive, call to silence. Be still and know that I am God. Jesus exposes the church leaders at the time in Matthew 15. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And later to a Another question from a woman, he says, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. We don't worship to get, but to give truthful, honest love from our hearts back to our Father, back to our Lord Jesus. Our worship leaders are wonderful and they really help us so much. But, you know, if we don't like the song 
that particular song? Or does it matter that the sound is not quite right? Or maybe it's slightly out of key, maybe, occasionally. What matters is our attitude. It's a heart attitude. We bring a sacrifice when we praise and worship. And actually, that should cost. So, where does that leave us? Those of you who know me well will know that, oh gosh, there's three points coming now. Better get the pen out. But I've only one. Be intimate with God, who is intimacy himself, being three persons, God Father, the Son Jesus, the Holy Spirit, united. What is intimacy? It is when we are known, when we know someone fully, and when we are fully known by them. When we deeply love someone, and we are loved deeply by them. When we trust each other completely. You know, in Genesis, the first occupants were described as they were naked but not ashamed. Naked but not ashamed. That is an ultimate intimacy, which I think we can understand because we know the opposite, don't we? That when we're naked, we rather are ashamed and cover up. But the Bible has a golden thread through it. Which, is, uh, through, which Jesus and his church are likened to a marriage relationship, the most intimate we can understand. One flesh in mind, body, and spirit. And vineyard worship leaders are quick to say it is a misunderstanding that theirs is just about a song style. But really, it's an attitude of heart. Our God is not at a distance It's not. But like the father in the prodigal son who runs in a humiliation, really, to his son who's returning and wraps a cloak around him, produces a wonderful meal and proclaims, my son who was lost has come back. That is how the father treats us. He does not stand back He did not even stand back when Jesus was shedding blood for us. So, I'm going to ask the band to come up. They've done really well today. It's great to see youth in the band as as well. It is our inheritance that we come welcomed into the presence of the living God. So why would we hold back? Why would we hold back? Is it that there is some shame? Maybe a little bit of fear. Maybe it is tradition still that holds us back. Well, in God's presence, we can stand naked but not ashamed because of what Jesus has done for us. Naked, but not ashamed. We are fully known, as fully as you can be. So our response today, from all that we've heard, I think today, can only be worship. So let's open our hearts. The song is a tool 
The band is here to help us, but it is us who worship in the spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen.